0: Okay, welcome back to my podcast, Steven Sully Study. Um, I've got tremendous guests in front of me, George Groves, uh, world champion, former world champion. I made so many accolades to even uh, to, to name, but had that famous two fights with uh, Froch, James DeGaulle, You um, had some other incredible fights. I think one of the things I love about your story is your perseverance. Obviously, you had to set back with not winning the world title against Froch twice, Badu Jack. And then on your fourth attempt, you you came back and and won it. And I was saying to Chris, just even before we started this podcast, so many boxers probably would have given up on the first attempt, definitely the second attempt, but to go on to your fourth and then win it and win it in such good style as well is so inspiring. Uh, Part of my reason why I've done this podcast, George, is because when I was at school, I was a bit of a flop. Um, I never sort of bumped off of school and and done all that naughty stuff. But when I was in school, I wasn't really tuned in. I didn't really like what I was being taught. And I certainly wasn't very good at communicating. Had there been podcasts and good interviews back then, it might have given me a bit of uh, direction. So my ambition is to interview people like yourself, go-getters, athlete, winners, to inspire the young demographic, a young male, young female, and hopefully give them a bit of like motivation, inspiration to their life. So anyway, with that long introduction, St. George Groves, thank you very much for your time and welcome onto the podcast.
1: No, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Good stuff. Um, question I'm going to ask you, because it's the first thing I typically do with my guests, I walk you around the studio here at Woodbury House, and I gave you a bit of a, a small insight to the Godfather Street Art, who is Richard Hambleton, okay? I know you, I'm not saying you're an art expert or anything like that, but... The small insight that I gave you. What was your initial reaction to it? What do you think about the paintings and him being an affiliate to Banksy? Um, yeah, what, what what's your kind of take on it?
1: No, it's a cool, it's a cool setup. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm far from knowledgeable about art. You know, I've I've heard of Banksy and, and not many others. You know, not, not any modern uh, any modern artists. But the work is super cool. Like, I mean, it's interesting. You know, it, there's I love the story, you know, and if you want to invest in, in in some stories, then art's the way to go. So, I mean, even you just give me a crash course on on Hamilton's background um, and then the reasons that the, the art look the way it does um, is, you know, it's great. So, yeah, it's a lovely spot. I mean, uh, Soho, I used to train at the third space down the road, so I'm semi-familiar with the area. It changes all the time, but uh, he's got. Uh, there's always something. It's a cool and quirky part of the world. Yeah. And uh, you fit right in.
0: Yeah. Well, when we were choosing to get a, a studio, and in actual fact, we've been here for about five, six years now, we're probably going to move to like a, a, a bigger place at some point. Um, but what I love about Soho is just what you said is cool, it's quirky, and it's the perfect blend between Mayfair high end, where you've got the high end restaurants, uh, retail stores, etc., cetera. Um, and then you've got Shoreditch, not too far away. And I think it's a perfect blend. You've got like the rich, you've got. Not so rich. You've got all different backgrounds, very creative people. I think it's a very, very cool place. It's still a bit edgy of a night. I've seen some shady shit happen of an evening around here. But in truth, it's a it's a wicked place to be. First place, actually. I've got um what they call, uh, they call it golfer's elbow, but you get it from boxing and it's so fucking painful. And that's, that's who treats me, actually. So I go there every single week and get it. So it's a cool gym, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's a really cool gym. I've been there for, I can train there for years, but pop in there every now and again. Uh, yeah great spot um not bad place to train you know not bad place to train it's like it's, it's high tech but it's not quite full on nightclub vibe that sort of you see more and more of these these gyms yeah. popping up so you can get a bit of both you can you can get an intense workout but you can also uh get a bit of, uh relaxation sort of like a bit <laughs> It's a bit calmer in there. Yeah. Know, a bit bigger for the mind.
0: Yeah. So um just getting this straight into it. I mean my, my podcast isn't really like to interview boxers per se, but it just so naturally happened that because I do a bit of boxing myself and I've already been around boxers and I sponsored boxers and I just love the sport, I, I naturally just gravitate towards them and that's how I've just had so many different boxers on my on my podcast. Rather than talk about just about your career, which someone like a Trish Dixon is so much better than than I am at doing that because he's very articulate, he studies the game. Um, I want to leave that kind of side to 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 someone like Trish. I'm going to touch on it, but it's more about mindset, George. You know, more about that perseverance. I know you definitely got that. I've seen so many of your fights. Um, like I mentioned to you just before we started, I actually met you a few years ago when you used to work with uh, train with Adam Booth uh, at the old Haymaker Gym, and like I said it was poetry watching you just like spar. It really was. It was, it was incredible. And it, uh, it's so weird to say this, but when I was speaking to Anthony Agogo on, on the podcast, and I think the conversation come up, like who's my favorite boxer? Cause I probably asked him the same sort of thing. And uh, the two are, even though they're polar opposite people and polar opposite styles, Floyd Mayweather and George Groves. Hmm. It's like Floyd Mayweather is a perfect defensive, you know, uh, You know, talent. Should I I use the word talented? Like very educated, kind of sports IQ boxer. Like just knows how to take all your strengths away from you, and then yourself. Like the right hand that used to have the knockout power. And I think if that blended together, that would be like almost a super superhuman. So anyway, um, boxing. You wasn't a boxer at first, was you? You was a kickboxer, right?
1: Yeah, so I uh, started kickboxing first. I was probably, I think I was too young to box. So competitive boxing starts at about 11 years of age and um, I was seven at the time. So my dad took me to a local kickboxing club in Fulham. Um, I, live in, I used to live in Hammersmith. So uh, yeah, we did that for a few years at the age of 10. I started boxing at Adele Youth ABC. Um, did both for a few years and then about 13 decided to just concentrate on boxing. Always wanted to be a boxer, always dreamt about being a boxer. Um, fortunately, I was pretty good at boxing from the get-go, so it captured, you know, my imagination. It was it was my be-all, end-all. Um, nothing else really came into the picture. nothing else. that really came close. Um, some stuff suffered for it, you know, definitely other sports, uh, you know, I used to be a good all-rounder. Now I'm probably pretty terrible at everything because all I just all I did was boxing. Um, just even like you know, being at school, your education had to take a bit of a, a back step. I remember missing some of my GCSE exams because I was away boxing in Texas or in Ireland or it could be anywhere, you know. But it didn't matter because boxing, boxing was the be all end all. So, um, and every fight felt like, you know, it was a life and death situation, even when you're like 12 years old. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's how it sort of started,
0: always been involved in combat sports. Yeah. So like, did you know from a very young age then you thought to yourself, right, I'm pretty good at this. I've got a bit of a knack for it. I've got an inner kind of calling. Um, this is the profession that I'm going to pursue, or was there kind of other things on the cards and you was going to do maybe boxing, not part-time, but, you know, a bit more casually. No, it was always it was always boxing. I was always going to be a boxer. Um, my,
1: like, my my family are not from boxing as such. You know, my dad didn't box. My uncles didn't box. Not, you know, <clears throat> I think I've, there are relations somewhere down the line that box, but no one who actually went through the system turned professional. So, you know, I had friends that I was training with who had, had like their dad or someone had boxed pro and, you know, had, Experience of the heartache of boxing and knowing you needed something else to fall back on if it don't work out and stuff like that. But I never had that. You know, I'm watching the guys on the TV, like, like Nas, like you know Nigel Ben Eubank. That was it. It's like you can be a professional boxer and that can be your job and you can be rich and famous and that's what you dream of. That's that was all it was ever going to be for me. And I was I was pretty good as a kid. You know, like I started off really well. I won I won everything as a junior. I think I went. 28 and 0 as an amateur which was like bizarre no one no one did that yeah. you know as a kid it was only once i started boxing for england and traveling the world where you're meeting like other exceptionally talented kids you know um eastern europeans who are 16 but they look 30 you know uh, box some some of us that uh, boxed um nazim richards richardson's son bear uh, in uh, the junior olympics uh, he was he was training alongside Bernard Hopkins at the time. You know, great fight. Never, I don't think he ever made it in the end. He probably lost a bit of discipline or something. But got to travel the world, got to meet some some um, some some brilliant boxers, fight some of them, see some of them, and it was inspiring. I remember my dad telling me at the time, like you're going to places that, you know. No one would ever go. You know, we was going to we were going to Bosnia, like I was just gonna, after the war zone.
0: I was just going to say that actually, because when I was listening to one of your other interviews, you mentioned Bosnia, Finland, and places like that. Mm. Which, which people would go to Finland, but um Bosnia is almost like you probably would never go there, even still today, because what does it really have to have to offer? Now I'm saying it in a naive way because there might be some really cool stuff over there, but to go there as an athlete. And to do what you love to do, but then also see part of the country. I mean, what a great feeling!
1: Yeah, and you know, I I don't think there was a lot of. I mean, there's no tourism there as such at the time. They have still got bullet holes in the wall. You know, we still had to have an escort going from place to place. You know, we wasn't allowed out. We ended, Bradley Skeet came on that trip. Um, we ended up. I think we were staying in an orphanage. It was because they don't have hotels you know, where we were at the time. So you know, yeah, I've, I've been to Bosnia. Not many people, unless they've been out there for work or for war then not many people have been out there but got to see loads and loads but I never really got to get too far east that was uh, the only thing I never got to China or Australia or anywhere like that but you know been to Azerbaijan been to um, Macedonia been to Croatia uh, Russia I was in Russia in 2004 um, in Saratov which was which was cool you know the same same there was no you had to fly to moscow then it was a uh an army plane that took us from moscow to this uh Saratoga because there was no uh domestic commercial flights yeah so um it was cool it was really really cool got to see the world um get some experiences and now more than anything it's just a a cool thing to add to a conversation you know when you're, you know you're talking to talking to other parents in, in the school queue and there might be one who's from Azerbaijan and I say oh yeah I went to Baku in 2004 and they're like really why'd you go there yeah yeah (laughs) and I'm like oh I boxed out there cool place it's probably changed a lot since I was there like 18 years ago but um yeah it's to add to a conversation
0: I think I think like the definition my definition of being rich or wealthy has changed over time Um, the natural thing is about money and what you've the assets that you got etc but but for me now being 36 I've got two kids uh, one three and one was born in September last year so not even one yet and um, now looking after them and thinking about what I want to provide for them in the future is about experiences and really and truly that's about traveling and you know, I always sometimes think to myself, "Well, had I, you know, done something else with my life at the start, because I was a plumber. You know, I got out of school. I was going to become a marine. My mum and dad convinced me after I signed up to do not do this. You're going to get killed. Get a, get a get some kind of like um, skill underneath you, whether you're a sparky, carpenter, plumber, because you never go skint. That was their that was their sort of my the famous words of me. You never go skint." And I remember doing it. i thinking, I oh, fucking, I hate this. But I just stuck at it for three years, just to just to please them. And then I threw in the towel after three years. And then I went and done something else. And then I found myself in sales. But I always look back and think, you know, like even boxing. I've always had a passion for boxing. I'm not saying I could have been like world champion or anything like that. But just maybe if I dedicated, I could have probably like t- toured the world as well. And now, when you think about what you've done, you know, as an amateur and also as a pro. Forgetting out the belts, forgetting about the arenas, forgetting about the good stuff that you bought and the assets, etc. You must look at that and think, "Wow, like that's fucking amazing." I've travelled to these places, and that's given me a lot of like life lessons, skills, characteristics. Do you ever re- recap on them? The, the, those places that you visited and, and think that.
1: Well, yeah, definitely. I think um, it's it's tough. Like it's real tough. So you know you have to. You have to mature with the experiences, and in terms of for there and then for for, you know, for your boxing career, which then obviously reverberates into the rest of your life. But um, that's where you, that's where you're built, you know. You know, I talk now um, about how to become a champion. That's my talk: how to become a champion. Uh, and there's two things that I worked out with the pillars of becoming a champion. One is unwavering self-confidence. So you need to back yourself. Every time on everything that you know you're capable of achieving, and the second is resilience, because it will it certainly will never always go your way. You know, even f- fighters that we see now who feel like they've been been looked after at you know at every step along their journey, um, they've had to face something that they've had to overcome. So, and then I developed these traits that that come off them two pillars, but it's confidence and resilience, and they were kind of built um being 15 16 17 years old you know you are out in the right we're going Morocco Agadir, Morocco for the world championships you know you got to get out there you gotta make weight um i always wanted to leave from the front so um we used to have like a captain like a team captain uh most of the lads probably didn't give a think of a two ball ride but I desperately wanted to be captain, man, and uh, I thought that's I and I was each and every time. And the the the, the main coach uh, Jim Davison, who's a great coach, uh, he really liked me, and he could just see that you know I, I wanted to give a you know hundred percent into everything, every session. You know it was it was, um, you know a must win. You know, so you're competitive. You're in there with a with a group of lads. They're the most talented kids in the country. Some have your mindset, some don't. But you kinda of end up pushing each other along. Um, we'd we'd get up there, wake you up at six o'clock in the morning, and we're gonna do a track session at Crystal Palace. So you're down there and it's like it'll be some sort of sprint session. Cause you're only fighting three, four rounds, but I'd leave it, I'd leave it all on the track that morning. And then you got another session at ten o'clock, and then you got another session at three o'clock. And they end up like um it's not the most Clever way to train, but at that, at that age, what I realized was in hindsight, I was actually probably developing my mind more than my body. So sure, I'm building my body to be resilient, tough. You know, you, when you're a fit kid, that, that fitness you carry into, you know, being an adult, uh, but, you know, taking yourself to the world, well, like getting that grit, being able to bite down on the gum shield from, there, from from the get-go, Um it just makes it that much easier when you know when you're older. Like when I was a, a season pro, and I've got to be a little bit more careful. Got to watch the body, you know. I've got to um, be, you know, just be, just be smarter. Then, uh, I, you know, you've already got that banked. You know, you've already got those that mental resilience um, banked. And then when you come up against some some real tough things that you have to get over, like some some devastating defeats or you know, some contractual issues, you know, you're getting pushed out of place, you've lost your ranking, you know, they're going to strip you of your belt, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Or you're falling out with your team members, you know, or, you know, there can be so many different things that, that can go on in your pro career that you have to resort back to being confident and backing yourself in that situation and having the resilience to to sustain the confidence, but also to get over any upsets or sort of... Sort of.
0: So like um, I with with my, my boxing fights, including this one coming up on March the fifth, um, I I, I raise any of the ticket sales, the proceeds, and also my just Given page. All the money goes to Bromley and Downham uh, ABC. Uh, it's a club that's very very close to my heart. Um, I believe that it's helped the community. Um, when I was younger, fourteen, it was all guys down there. Now when I go in there now, there there's. I wouldn't say a 50-50 uh, blend with females and males, but there's more females than ever before down there, which is great because it was always seen as just a male-orientated sport. And I guess it still kind of is, but more females are getting into it, which I think is healthy. And it's not not for the what some people may may think, which is they're getting into it to be violent. It's not that. It's about the discipline. It's about the self-respect it's about the routine that you put, put put into your life that can serve you well later on when you're in business or for your family or or whatever, just to make you a bit more disciplined. And um, I personally think that if schools had it a part of their normal PE session, like football is, like rugby is, like, I don't know, hockey or netball or something like that, I just honestly think that kids today will be a lot more confident and I, look, I hate to say it because I, I hate to sound like I'm moaning about the si- the system but I feel like a lot of kids today are very very soft you know they're they're they see something on social media and this is a whole different conversation now George but they get offended by it very very quickly you know and I feel that sports but specifically boxing or some kind of combat sport gives you that kind of resilience because I was listening to one of your interviews and as an amateur you were laying now in a I know it was a hotel room, something like that. Anthony Ogogo was on one bed. He was fine, but he had lost. You was on another bed. You had won, but you had your jaw broken. And you were kind of just sitting there chatting about your experiences. You know, obviously he was devastated, lost, but he was fine. You were gr- feeling great mentally because you won, but physically not because you broke your jaw. But I honestly, even though I'm not trying to say people need to go break, break their jaw to build resilience, I think their knocks, their physical knocks, um serve you well as an adult later on in your life especially as a professional or going into business for yourself would you support that like having boxing as part of the the school routine could actually serve the younger younger kids today yeah guess? i think
1: i think boxing certainly can help a lot a lot of people boys and girls like um you know when i when i was a kid it was a it was the boys club there was never i didn't think there was amateur boxing for girls but Now it's mixed, which is, which is great. And we are seeing it's going to take a while, but now we're seeing lots of talented female boxers, um, coming through, coming through the ranks and there's some, I get down to Dell youth ABC when I can mainly on Sunday mornings. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, they'll be running the hills and I'll try and, I'll try and jump in and I'm near the back. I used to be near the front, now near the back. (laughs) Um, but then I get the pads out and I try and show them a little bit, you know, a little bit on the pads as well. Um. It's tough. It's tough having it in schools because, what you know, if you're going to teach boxing, then you want to teach it properly. You know, it's, it's what boxing is. The reason it's so good and it takes that much discipline is because you don't sh- you don't show up Sunday morning. They don't put gloves on you and put you in the ring. You might be in the gym for months and months on end before you even get to throw a punch at someone else. You know, um, so you have to have that that discipline, that resilience as as such to stick with it, to stick with it for past, you know, you have to get your fitness up. You'll have to get your weight down. So if you come in and you're a little bit heavy, then you don't want to be staying heavy because the guy you're going to be sparring or the girl you're going to be sparring is going to be, you know, so much naturally bigger than you. So you get your weight down. And I think there'll be, it will be great to have some encouragement in within schools. You know, if you've got boxing coaches that will come in and, and you know, just, maybe take one lesson and then say, look, come and join the local club, you know. Um, but I think boxing's on the rise anyway, you know. It's more in the public eye, more and more people are uh, getting involved in it. More and more gyms are popping up, you know, here, there and everywhere. And it is a, it is, it is a, great, a great sport. I mean, I'm biased towards it, of course, um, but it's, it's the noble art, you know. Obviously, once you get past that, that, that notion of, you're throwing a punch, you know, you're trying to punch someone else in the face or getting punched in the face. I mean, that is totally alien to people and it won't be to you because you're sitting here, you got you got uh, two black eyes, you must have got hit, <laughs> with, hit on the end of the nose recently. It's not alien to me, people have been throwing punching me my whole life. But, you know, for a lot of people, that is just bizarre. You yeah. know, they might have had two or three fights in their entire life and then obviously they're over in a flash. So, um, but, but there's, um. There's something in in boxing that it does have it, it does have a, an addiction to it. You know, there's some people that join from all walks of life. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> my gym is in a in an affluent area of of West London, like it's on the border of Labatt Grove, which is you know all sorts, a bit a bit of riffraff, and then you've got Notting Hill, which is the the other end, and then you get you get all all sorts in there. You mm. know, men and women who uh you know and they they all love it they all love it because maybe part of it, it's part of our part of our instinct part of our dna but it's it's a way of channeling your uh, your focus you know I, I talk about boxing at the uh, you know boxing in general especially when you're starting out and then boxing when you get to the, the top top end you know it's it's a uh, it's physical uh, it's mental but it's also emotional you know and there's not many other sports quite like it you know you obviously fit be good at any sport you gotta be physical you know to be high end at any sport you're gonna have mental strength as well but to have that emotional element you know it's only really football where the, the fans are so passionate that that emotion kind of creeps in but other than that you know unless you're competing for your country and there's national pride and it's the olympics or it's you know the six nations or something like that is boxing has that emotional element of you know someone's trying to hurt you you're trying to hurt them um And there's only one, there's only, it's only, it's only punching, you know, it's not that you got, you got mixed martial arts and you got all these other, you know, combat sports that are coming out now, but there's lots of variables, whereas boxing, it's just, you've only really got to worry about the the guy's hands Mm. and, and and concentrate on yours. So you can actually really perfect something much more than a discipline that requires multiple, you know, skill sets. So... I'm biased towards boxing. I'm always, at, always, always will be, and I always, I think that's why. You know, I was at that was at the London X Boxers Association um, Sunday, uh, and they uh, they're handing out awards because they've been 50 years they've been running, and and it was a community that was set up for ex fighters to have something to belong to at the end of boxing, and that's kind of like what you realise boxing can give a lot of people is you know we are we are tribal people i believe you know we we want to belong to a tribe you know yeah um you know whether you be your local football team whether it be just your your local town someone you can um relate to and then and boxing clubs uh, you know first of all it's your boxing club and then it could be just boxing in general because it still feels like when you're an amateur boxer it's still pretty niche because not everyone in your class is going to be doing boxing yeah. you know they might they might watch boxing on the telly their parents might be boxing fans but the likelihood is that they've, they've done any boxing probably not and then yeah if you do get someone who can come in to schools and and they might show them a little bit or they might just encourage them you know to come down to the local gym um that's usually how these things happen. It's word of mouth, you know, yeah. your friends, a friend will take a friend and three of them will show up because, you know, it's kind of intimidating sometimes to walk into yeah. the boxing gym on your own and then out of them three kids there's only one that sort of gets the bug, uh, you know, gets the bug, gets hooked and the other two fall away but he's in the championships like and he's, he's pushing on. So.
0: Yeah, I've, So like my, my dad uh, was with, uh, had six brothers, there was one sister, they lived in East Dulwich um, and back in East Dulwich it was, I mean, parts of it still now is, is rough, but back then it was really rough when he was younger. He used to go to a school called William Penn, which I think turned into Dulwich High and then it got shut down because it was too rough. And I'm I'm still today, at 36 years of age, it's like like I'm 12 or 15 or, 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 or like a, a teenager. I love sitting there, especially if we've had a glass of wine or something like that, and pick his brain about the old school days. I'm really obsessed with it. like. I, I, I kind of like like how they were a bit kind of rough but very respectful. He said, like knife crime, He said never used to happen. He said, it wasn't a thing. You would have a punch-up with someone, you literally meet, have a punch-up, and that was it. And then it was the end of it. And he said, that was that was kind of the culture. And in school, boxing was part of it. You know, teacher used to pull him out all the time, say, you've got a problem with him, get in the ring, have, have, have a boxing fight. It was controlled, and then that was it. And then they had respect for each other. And... You know, different families got to know which family were a bit game and a bit rough, and which ones weren't. And that was it. There was no, there was no kind of bullying. And look, I'm not saying it has to be like that. Um, I think there could be a a a perfect blend between the two. But again, I sometimes look at people, look at look at look at some of the younger demographic, and think, fuck, you get so offended quickly. You get so you know, upset quickly. And I feel like if you just learn something like boxing at a young age, it would give you that bit of resilience. So that's my rant on that subject anyway, George. All right. Um, so, look, uh, your, your mindset, like you said, the emotion, uh, you know, the will to win, everything else... Y- y- your, your family are not from a background like boxers. so your dad was a painter and decorator a bit of a, an artist now mm. um, and you got two brothers yourself um, where did this kind of determination come from I mean was it something which was you were born with naturally or did it have do you get it instilled into you over time
1: uh, I'm not, not not entirely sure I mean I wouldn't say I had pushy parents but my, my my dad, my mum's definitely not pushy. My dad maybe a, a little bit more pushy. Um but he just always like encouraged me and then left me to my own devices, you know, at the same time. So, you know, if I if I needed help, say I my dad used to take me to the gym when I was too young to go by myself, you know, but then as soon as I was old enough to go by myself, it's like, okay, you can go, you know. Um there was always that say that encouragement from him, which was great um but he also left me to my own devices and so i know i felt you know you only know, years later you find out sometimes he might have been thinking oh well, things this ain't right especially in my pro career like you're not you know you need to make some changes or you know you I, i'm not happy about this and um but he sat on it because he knew that you know i, I was pretty pretty determined I'm, I'm i'm that sort of that sort of guy you know I, i'm happy to leave from the front i make my own decisions um it takes a lot for me to sort of sit back and go, okay, well, I'll delegate. You tell me how to do it. And then, you know. And mm. even then I'll be like, okay, well, I'm, I've got an eye on you. You know what I mean? Uh, and if it ain't right, then, then it's got to go. And I, I learned that from, from previous experiences, relationships with people. Um, but I was fortunate enough to, I walked into the Derry of ABC and it was a successful uh, junior Amateur Boxing Club, you know, uh, they had national champions every year. So, you know, you, and from the get-go, that was like, yeah, sure, one day I'll be, you know, a professional world champion, but if that there's no point in going that far if I don't win the under-12 schoolboy championship, you know, this year in my weight division uh, because I want my name up on the wall like all the other kids have done for the last 15, 20 years out of the gym. So it was a winning environment. You went into a gym full of winners. It was, it was rough and ready to a certain degree. It was a tough place to, to be like, you know, Mick, Mick and Peter, were the coaches there, you know, and there'll be 15, maybe 20 lads standing outside the ring, waiting to jump in and do pads. And then when the bell went, if you just stood there, like you just never, you just never got any work. So when the bell went, you'd have to dive in the ring. You had to, you had to push in, you had to be survival the fist. you know, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they they you know they treated you like adults which was kind of cool you know i mean there was loads of foul language in the gym you're only, you're you're a kid but and you know well i ain't going to take this to school later well, i'm definitely going to say it in front of my mom but it's kind of cool here you know like you're allowed to swear you're allowed to you know they treat you like they they they, they treat you like like grown ups but they they could afford to do that because as you say you got that you got that discipline you know you're still there to train you still if you if you are overweight, and Ernie Harris, who was the the club secretary there, he used to do the weigh-ins and that, and he would do the matchmaking. So, and he knows that you know he knows what kids have been lying about their diet and not. You know if mm. if you if you, if you if he weighs you on Thursday and you're fifty seven kilo, and then he weighs you Sunday morning and you're fifty nine, he knows you've had a pizza and a burger over yeah. the weekend. You know, so he's there to to grill you. Um, so you had to have that, you had to have that discipline and, and, and as well, you was responsible, you was held accountable, you yeah. know, um, <laughs> there was no, uh, you know, the dog ate my homework or, you know, I forgot my, I forgot my PE kit today. It's like, all right, he ain't got it, go home. Like, yeah. you know, you so you're responsible for yourself, make sure you got your gloves, got your boots, get there on time, um, and get home, you know, get home all right and stuff like that. So. It makes a man out of you. It makes you mature a little bit early, but um, gives you some real great skills, life skills you know, for the future.
0: Absolutely. You touched on something at the start of the conversation, which I'm going to leapfrog like past your past your amateur career, even past your pro career, and and just talk about like kind of like the end result. Um, I've asked loads of athletes, footballers, boxers, and rugby players, and a few others, like what was your what's your main drive like to become the best. Version of yourself as far as a boxer and athlete is concerned. Now, if I were to ask someone like Floyd Mayweather, I would imagine he would say something along the lines of to make loads of money because he's money Mayweather. That is his persona. That is his drive. Then I speak to some other athletes and they don't even talk about the money. They talk about becoming world champion, you know, becoming a household name, legacy, you know, it's a word that is thrown around quite a lot. Um, And then you've got someone who's a bit split between between the two and some athletes don't like to talk about the money side of things because they see it as secondary which I fully respect but at the same time it's your career you know it's the way you make money it's the way your your family are going to benefit because you've made all this money from from your career so your relationship with money George um was it ever a driving factor did you ever want to earn a certain amount of money then you were going to hang up the gloves if I can ask as well what is the biggest amount of money you've ever earned from one particular fight
1: yeah uh money money is uh is important definitely important it's a measure of success definitely. so and in boxing more so than anything else it's it's a little bit hard to measure success sometimes you know because there's no fixture list there's no you know there's no premier league that you, everyone goes in and someone can win you know from time to time um it's public opinion and if you're if you're someone like me who's been through the mill on the public opinion uh it's tough it's tough to measure that success so for me when i first started out i want to be a world champion everything else will come with it you know i have a flash car and a big house and all this but that comes because you because you're a world champion and then as 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 time goes on you realize well you know anyone can become a world champion if the time's right you know. that's not the be all end all. And I want to leave the sport financially secure. You know, Um, I want to have my mortgage paid for, I want to have some assets. I want some money in the bank. I want a family. I've got two kids. Um, I want them to set them up for life as well. And then I end up uh, losing my first world title against Frotch. Controversially, Uh, I have a mega, a mega, a mega rematch where I'm gonna eclipse the first one. It's gonna be so big. It's a post war attendance record for boxing. It's the biggest fight in British boxing history. I'm gonna win and then I lose.
0: I get knocked out. Uh spectacularly knocked out. No, I was so frustrated because uh I'm 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 one of your biggest fans, mate, and I know you don't you don't know this until now, but fucking hell rooting for you in the first fight, you're winning it. Uh, it got stopped way too early and then and then the second fight you're winning as well in my opinion and then the, the punch has just, just caught you and it is well it is but um sorry to interject there but I I'm very passionate about it I'm not here to it. pull on heartstrings yeah. I'm not here
1: to pull on heartstrings so it's like right now I just need to become world champion I'm walking around thinking I'm a world champion without the belt um my next fight is for the for an eliminator for WBC um by the time that 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 fight comes around the champions now Badu jack um it's like right no one no one cares now you know you go from like every it feels like the whole world cares the spotlights on it's, it's the biggest fight in history and then it's like well i'm fighting on the undercard a mayweather undercard on a fight that no one cares about for mayweather um way out in vegas um, september I think, Is it the Berto? yeah but so he's yeah. lo- he's lo- this is post Pacquiao, uh, Mayweather, Pacquiao, like that. Once the dust had settled on that, it's like no one really cared about Mayweather. Did it? I mean, I know you're a big Mayweather fan, so you probably did. But
0: it was it was almost like just seeing his contract out.
1: Yeah, well, that's what it was. And then pick and he picked Berto. I can't remember who were the other candidates at the time, but Berto Garcia was, was
0: there. He could have fought Garcia, yeah, Garcia.
1: I think there was a couple, be, a couple of better options, but he chose he chose Berto. He's a clever man, like a very clever man. So um,
0: it's an easy thirty-five million or whatever we got.
1: Yeah. Um, we got we got Badu Jack, so you know I, I think I was I was probably the favourite to go into that fight. Definitely in Britain, I was the favourite, but Badu Jack's a very good fighter, very um, well-rounded, solid performer who you know learned his craft. He was a student of the sport, took himself away from his comfort, lived out of Vegas you know, in the Mayweather gym sparring. The best guys coming through, had a bit of a dogged way to the top. Finally got there, and he wasn't going to give it up to me. I lose a split decision away from home and um, that's the new rock bottom you know and now how do I measure success it's like well look, I'll tell you one thing it doesn't matter how many pound notes I've got in a bank I can't leave the sport without becoming a world champion and it was a full circle back to being seven eight nine ten years old where the dream was just to become a world champion Um, had to you know go back to the drawing board make a few changes not to rush things but the time is ticking and talked earlier about being physical mental and emotional now you know uh, emotionally this is rock bottom I have to come back from here and fortunately I do box must work my way into uh, another position to fight for now the WBA world title uh, against a Russian guy called Fedor Chudnov he was the champion before he lost it controversially against Felix Sturm I think or someone who then tested positive for a banned Mm. substance so Really, they should just give him the belt back. But, you know, we both fought for the vacant belt and it was now or never. Because if I don't win this one, I'm not sure if I could have emotionally come again. Um, So the pressure's on. I can't leave the sport without being a world champion. Like, I I can't live with myself. So it's got got to happen. It's got to be done. And uh, fortunately for me, um, in that fight, I overcome my second broken jaw of my career. A few other bumps and bruises along the way, and get get a six round stoppage win, and finally achieve that dream. You know, fourth time of trying, um, become world champion. So it was a real, real special moment for me, and that's kind of how I measured success. Once I'd done that, then I knew my days in boxing were were um, were numbered. You know, it was fortunately for me, I'd signed into the World Boxing Super Series, which was a, a tournament. Um, where I was going to go in at number one seed. I won't tell you how much I got paid, but I got my career highest purse in, in that in, in that tournament.
0: What even tops, like, for example, Frotch
1: 2? Yeah, Frotch 2, because I was on the arse end of the split. So it was, um you know, he's the champion, Frotch, So people say, like, oh, it doesn't matter about losing that first one because it set up the second one. It's like, yeah, but I'd like to have gone into that second one on the champion split. (laughs) Yeah. It would have made a, it would have made a, a a huge difference, but, um, each their own, I wouldn't change a thing about my career. I wouldn't roll the dice on, on anything because ultimately I am more than content with where I am right now, what I came out with it. And, you know, maybe if I'd beaten, beaten Frotch, um, you know, in the first fight or at Wembley, something, something could have changed. And, um, even if I finished with more belts or finished with more money, I wouldn't roll the dice on any alternatives to where I am now because I'm in a happy, content place, you know, with myself, which which for, for, for huge parts of my career, I wasn't sure that was going to be, you know. Um, I had, you know, a countdown on when I can walk away from boxing for a long time, you know. Uh, and then, you know, times when I was really enjoying it and times when I wasn't. But... Um, yeah, in the end it was it was the tournament. It was three fights in twelve months. I was gonna be able to to get some some great money, pay off the mortgage, put some money aside, all the things that where well, I would measure success financially, as well as hope to win it. Um pick up a few more belts along the way. I managed to get to the final, uh I lost in the final, but win lose or draw that was gonna be my last fight. Really, you know, and I think because of that, I probably took that fight when I wasn't really ready for it. You know, I was I, I dislocated my shoulder in the February and then we ended up boxing in, in September, and we 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 argued for that fight for f- three months. And any fighter will will honestly tell you that, unless like the contracts are signed, your head's in the game, and you know that there's a fight date set, it's really difficult to to train and be motivated for something, let alone trying to rehab a dislocated shoulder. So uh, I, I put myself through the mill. I saw some of the best guys in London. I mean, my physio um kevin who's at the third space um one of the best guys in the country he's looked after me my whole career i then started working alongside him with um uh, a chap called ben Caraway, who i still work with now um he's a phenomenal um i don't want to call him a chiropractor because he's a lot more than that but he's a fascial um skeletal muscle specialist Do you know what i mean he you know he can like Kevin, he you know, he's got like X-ray vision. He can see see through your skin, see what's going wrong, and I worked alongside him. And I probably got got in touch with him a couple of maybe eight weeks short of what I needed for the the last fight with Smith. The shoulder wasn't quite right because I was missing a lot of sessions. My weight wasn't quite right. I had no sparring, and, but I knew this was my last fight, so. It wasn't going to be no excuses. And even now, it sounds like I'm moaning. and I haven't got any excuses because I wouldn't have changed it for anything. I'm like, what? Well, I thought, I mean, I genuinely believed I was going to beat Smith. I thought I'm fit enough. I'm good yeah, enough to beat him. And you was, yeah. But, you know, I got, you know, it, it wasn't enough on the, on mm. the night. So, uh, and Smith's gone on to, to show that he's a real good fighter. You know, he didn't perform against mm. um, Alvarez uh, Canelo. But now he's up at light heavyweight. I think I think he was pretty weight drained at the time, and now he's mm. up at light heavyweight. I'm expecting some some huge things from him in the time to come. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's that's kind of where where we measure where, where we measure boxing, where we measure, measure success.
0: Um, yeah. I'm I'm gonna I want to actually come back to uh, to to some of the, some of them fights, or you know, things that. I would have liked to see, and I would like to see you against Alvarez. You know, people like that. But before we get onto that, the reason why I mentioned about the money side of stuff is because, like you said, it's a way to measure in business. Um, yeah, you could talk about oh, we've done this and we've done that, but really and truly, at the end of it, it's it's down to your profit and loss, isn't it? That's how you measure how successful a, a brand is. So I always like to ask athletes because typically, when you become world champion or you're a Premiership footballer, you know, there is big money involved. Um, and like most of us, including me, I'm not from money. My 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 dad was a glazer. My mum was like just doing odd bits and pieces here and now, doing a bit of cleaning for a mace, etc. And in my early thirties, I have become a salesperson for a company for financial products, and I end up becoming a bit my, my calling to be honest. And I have become pretty good at it. Start mm-hmm. making money. And I start doing the, the 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 natural things as a young man with with money. Bought Lamborghinis, all the watches, and. End up buying a, a, a property not because I really wanted to, because my mum and dad kept are nagging me saying stop buying like Lamborghinis or Ferraris. End up buying some properties, and it was a really really good move. But thanks to them. And then and then like things change, and then you lose a bit of money, and then you realise what a stupid twat you was with money. And on reflection, hindsight, what you should have done, etc. And now building this business since two thousand fourteen, a lot more mature with it. And I like to get in the mind mind of athletes who've made a lot of money and now what they do because unlike what I do here you know this is going to be around I'm hoping for many years to come 10 15 20 30 years I might even pass it down to to my children but with an athlete it's not normally the case by the time you're mid 30s sometimes 40s now you're hanging at the gloves and now you're looking for a different uh, career path to make to make revenue so I've had these conversations with a lot of footballers and Anton Ferdinand is quite a good friend of mine now and he actually said, he said like a lot of footballers when he was coming up, they were preyed on by so-called financial advisors because they knew they wasn't very educated with financial products or investments. They had a lot of money, quite gullible uh, at times and they would just throw millions into an investment scheme and it never used to pay off and they used to lace the pockets of the financial advisor but not so much the footballers. So I'm asking you as a world champion boxer, you know, household name, sort of got a big profile, someone that has been there and done it. Um making the money, was there like education behind it? Uh, did you ever have a mindset of right, I want to put my money here or did you kind of learn on the job as you went?
1: Yeah, I think um so boxing uh, two things like one, you feel like anything you earn is hard for for, you know, you've had to you've had to graft, you've had to bleed, you've had to sweat. Blood, sweat, and tears for it. So you're not so quick to just hand it over, or you shouldn't be at least, to someone else because they've got some clever scheme that's gonna, that's gonna pay high, you know, high returns. You know, big, big investment, and you know, you're gonna get great returns. So I've always, I mean, me personally, I've always steered clear of riskier investments, um, and. Secondly, with boxing, like you, you, you're not on a salary. So footballers, they might be on. I mean, if they have it off and they're on a hundred grand a week, you know, it's five million pounds a year. But it's almost like guaranteed, unless they're going to kick their cat and get fined for two weeks, or do you know, or just even if they're injured, if they don't play, that you know, the agents involved in football get you such a great contract that. Mm. You've got that security. So maybe that allows them to be a bit more frivolous with their money. Um, plus as you say, they you know, footballers are young, you know, they're in a team environment where you know it's a bigger team environment than boxing. So, you know, they might it might be this one's doing well or this one's doing that, or they want to do this investment, or let's set something up together, or they just want to keep themselves busy and occupied. You know, I think with with football there's a lot of there's a lot of travelling. Although they play a lot, um don't think they, they can't possibly train as much or as hard as boxers do, so we be in the gym two, two times a week, uh, two times a day, so six days a week. You know, um, and then you're so tired you can't bother to investigate in uh, anything. Anyway. I've got, I've got, you know, uh, in business like not a lot. You know, I invested myself in, into boxing. I've got, I've got properties, um, and I've got money set aside, and that that's it really. Um, and there's some interesting stuff that that's going on. Um, And I still haven't really sort of thrown myself into that. Might learn something today. Mm -hmm. I doubt doubt I'll buy buy an art piece off you today, but uh, I do like them. They look look pretty cool. But um, who knows? You know, like, I just... I'm not sure. I I just don't know. I mean, I remember being like 10, must have been maybe longer than 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I used to watch uh, alternative alternative news sometimes. And I used to, used to be this Max Kaiser who used to be on Russia Today. And he used to talk about this thing called Bitcoin. <laughs> and uh, I was like, and he explained it pretty well, you know, uh, that, you know, there's, 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 you know, I can't remember exactly what he said. I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. But I couldn't, I couldn't buy a Bitcoin. I didn't know how to do it. And if I did buy a few Bitcoins, maybe, maybe it worth a lot of money now. But Again, it's like it's like my boxing career. I wouldn't change anything really because you never know if it's going to pay off or not. So, I mean, you do you, you, if, you, if you're working in the art world, and sometimes it's going to be good, sometimes not. Um, sometimes things have a value that don't make quite that don't quite make sense, you know. Um, how, you know, they say stick it in bricks and bricks and mortar, and that's a safe bet. Mm. There's always going to be people; they're always going to need somewhere to live, but. You know, I live in West London, the, the price of housing in West London is like, are they always going to be that expensive? Are people always going to be willing to pay that much money. So even then, you know, like since Brexit's here and, you know, uh, maybe even a year or so before then, there's been a few financial crashes, COVID. You know, the housing market stalled, especially sort of in London. It's just starting to pick up. So you don't really want to stretch yourself. That'd be my advice, especially for a boxer. hard hard-earned money if you're fortunate enough have to come out with a few quid don't don't uh, don't chuck all of it at something make sure you've got plenty left aside for a rainy day and live a live a modest life you know it's hard it's hard it's hard not to rush out and buy a Lamborghini or to rush out and I know I've got I've got a nice car um, that's my pride and joy but I'm not ready to trade it in every year and get something else or you know I can only fit two two cars comfortably on my drive we've got to do like a little manoeuvring to get them get them out if we try and get a third one in there then it's not really worth it for me right now. So, uh, yeah. No, no, no pals of wisdom from me right now. Okay, uh, maybe, 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 maybe someone comes to me with something that's worth sharing and then I will.
0: Oh, all right, all right. I just, I always like to ask that question because um, I think, I'm So I'm 36. I think doing my research at 33, 34? 33, yeah. 33. Um, you're fucking such a young man still you know and you've achieved so much and obviously you've made all that money and I always think to myself what do they do with that money afterwards and I know you're not out there blowing it on like in a casino or going out there and I know buying tables at ridiculous clubs and stuff I know you've always been quite like a humble conservative kind of guy that's how you appear anyway and I, I kind of got this sensation that you wouldn't be blowing, blowing the money so I'm always curious what boxers world champions do with their money later on Um, on that note, I'm going to ask just, just one out there question. So when you did come into your first windfall of money, you fought really hard for it. And I don't know whether that was the first fight or, or the one you just referenced. There must have been a time, because I do believe having a balance, but more towards assets is important because you get reoccurring income from your, from your properties, but then occasionally treat yourself because that's why you go to work you know that's why you fight that's why you had your jaw broken you know to to, to treat yourself and look at your wrist or look at your car and look at your house and think you know what I won that you know I fought for that what's the what's, when you got your first win for what is the best kind of thing that you bought yourself or you thought you know what this is my medal of honour well
1: uh, I mean so I bought, I bought I bought the house I'm in now I bought that after um, in between the two Frost fights um, but that still had a big mortgage on it. Um, the the, I, the best the best thing I can say is I won, um, I won my first fight in the World Boxing Series. I've paid my mortgage off. The rest of the mortgage, so that, that mortgage had been there for three, four years. Uh, and then I beat Eubank, and I bought myself a Rolls Royce for um, Dawn. Uh, the Wraith. Wraith. So it's Beautiful the, the two-door, yeah. I love it. I still got it. Um, that was my 30th birthday present, so um, I was after a particular one. Um, I don't buy brand-new cars. Like, I'm not I'm not that guy. Um, but this one was a couple of months old. It had, like, 100 miles on the clock. It was the exact spec and colour and interior that I wanted. And uh, I was keeping an eye on it, the whole, I was keeping an eye on looking for out for this car, the whole U Bank camp. It was something to keep busy with. Um, and then I decided I'm getting one for my 30th and then it, like, my birthday's at the end of March and then it cropped up on the Friday and I called him and I said, look, if you can get it to me by Monday, I'll have it. And yeah, he said, "Yeah, <laughs> you'll be there Monday." And they delivered it on my birthday, so happy birthday to me! Yeah, uh, and that was uh so yeah, that was that was a uh, that was that was that was a cool day. That was a nice day for me. Um, so I think now that that's gonna be my biggest splurge as yeah. such. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 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 you know, we I live I live the, you know I don't live. I do live a flashy life to a certain degree, but it's not fur coat, no knickers. Do you know what I mean, yeah. I haven't got a car that I'm that I'm leasing that I'm going to lose in a couple of years, and I'm renting a house yeah. that that I could never afford. You yeah. know, I live in a house that's mine. You know, uh, I live in an area that's that's nice, um, but you know, I'm not living. I ain't got a penthouse. You know, on Mayfair that I'm renting and for a limited company that's probably going to go bust yeah, one day, yeah. you know. Uh and people think I've got more money than I actually do. I'm not that guy. I don't I don't I'm not I'm not the Tinder swindler. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a fucking uh yeah, uh, I don't show off for, for 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 the gram and live that fake life. So yeah. uh yeah.
0: I wanted to ask you that question, because I'm very much into my cars, um, obviously into my boxing, and uh, from a guy that is not from money, and not from a boxing background, the family, then to be becoming world champion, making this money, and then driving driving a Rolls-Royce. I mean, it's, it's a pretty fucking big deal. I mean, many kids who hopefully are listening to this podcast, predominantly probably young men, are going to go, wow, what's that like to drive a Rolls-Royce, bearing in mind you're not from that background. How, how would you kind of summarise that, like driving a Rolls-Royce? Knowing that you're not from that typical background where people like us drive them sort of cars, but you fought your way to get there, and and it's well well deserved.
1: Mm. No, it's it's lovely, it's great. I mean, my, I'm I'm from a humble background. My my say you know, my dad was a, a painter and decorator. My my mum not you know uh, she worked, but she stopped working when you know when, when she had kids. Uh, they live in a you know, a housing trust house, you know, they, um, I never grew up on a, on a council estate, but we, you know, we weren't from money as such, you know, like they lived week to week. Uh, and so it's, it's bizarre, you know, what I, you know, what I made in what I could make in a fight could be more than my dad would make in a lifetime, you know, a lifetime of work. Incredible. And my dad told me when I was a kid, don't be a, don't work on a building site. So probably the polar opposite of what you want. Because he, how How's your day at work, dad? Shit, as usual. So he used to say like, and it was like, dad, stop moaning. Like, I know he used to enjoy it. He used to have his camaraderie with yeah. his pals and he had it all his own way. He'd leave all the, you know, he liked my dad gets up at the crack of dawn he used to get up at four in the morning. Not because he had to, just because I think that's just what he was like. He'd drink about eight cups of coffee, leave the house at half five, get, he'd Be the first one on site, but then he'd want to be the first one to leave as well. He's selective. Like he's eager beaver. Like he, he's always on time. He's always 2 He'd rather be three hours early than four minutes late. Yeah. You know. Uh, he wants to get in, get done, get home. <laughs> get, stop rushing, Dad. Enjoy yeah. life, man. Take it, take it, take it, take it
0: easy. Be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but he, and he and he does now. Like he he, 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 you know, I hope he's enjoying it. But he takes his time a lot more now, which is pretty good um but that was the encouragement from me and and it gives you gives you that you know it keeps you humble keeps you keeps you um gives you that that grip on reality you know um <clears throat> you my, my worst idea would be to, to to run out of money you know you've got you've got uh you 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 end up in a in a particular way of life you know um so we have a nice holiday maybe a couple um you know i've got a nice car as long as i can always afford to put petrol in always afford to insure it then i'm always going to keep a nice car as long as the kids go to a nice school i'm going to make i've got enough money aside that i can always pay for them to go to that nice school um i want to invest in my kids now you know invest time in my kids that's why i retired at 30 you know my youngest was months old when i knew it was going to be my last fight because i wanted to you know be around be there uh, and I am, and it's and it's great. You know, it's it's rewarding. It's, it's this is where I find value. You know, this yeah. is where this is where my life is uh, is enriched because um, I can do anything on my terms. You know, so I know you had to nag me a little bit to nail me down for a date here, just because mm. I don't have a set set a set um, routine no more. You know, things chop and change week to week. You know, I try and get in the gym and train myself. I never, re- I never do any boxing training now, but I'll try and keep it in the gym just because it's good to be healthy, you know, eat well and live well. Uh, i try and get down the boxing gym to the amateur boxing gym to hold pads for, for the lads um, because I don't like to say give a bit back because that sounds a bit patronising, but it's just to help uh, help my old coach Mickey. He's sitting in his seventies now. He's still in the gym. Every week, bobbing and weaving, you know, taking the kids on pads, you know, imparting his wisdom, and then I want to give back to the club by helping out like that. So it's it's good for me. I don't have any hang-ups. Like it's no, it's not like I wake up in the morning. People go, "Oh, are you bored? Like, are you?" Nah, I've got little kids, man. They keep me busy. They're in yeah. like before I'm awake in the morning. They're awake and they're ready and they're gone. Mm-hmm. And they're ready. and two boys and they're <laughs> some days it's like lads stop fighting, stop arguing, stop whinging, stop this, stop that. Um, so they keep me busy. They're, they're great fun. I do the school run every morning um, and then I'm on out. Love the media side of things. That's how I dabble in. That's how I get my boxing fix. You know, if I get a call up from Sky or Channel 5 or something like that, BBC, like i can get to do the podcast with them guys or get to the fights and cover. Um, that gives me my boxing fix. Dip my toe into boxing. Give my two cents. Give an opinion. It's a, it's an opinion sport. Everyone's got one, yeah. <laughs> like an arsehole, That's as yeah, they yeah. say. So, yeah. um, opinion an yeah. And that's what I enjoy doing, really. So it's good. You know, I know, I can't I can't complain. I'm not really. Re- I thought I'd be ready to throw myself into something straight away, but I'm not. You know, uh, I remember speaking to Darren Barker, who's a couple of years older than me and retired a couple of years before me. And I'm like, "How are you getting on?" He's like, "It's great," like. He's got. He's not. He's got young kids as well. I think, but he's not. You know, he's not hung up. He's not bored. He's not depressed. He's not. He's got no. He's got no itch to get back in the gym. Lots of fighters do, and I feel like they're the fighters who maybe didn't quite get to achieve what they set out to achieve, whether injury pushed them out, or you know, opportunities, or politics, or what. But um, fortunately for me, um, I got everything I wanted out of boxing, and. Uh, yeah, know I'm a lady of leisure.
0: <laughs> um, do you believe, you know, the, the, this, this word or term that people use quite a lot now, manifestation, law of attraction, that kind of stuff. I'll tell you why I say that. It's, bit, it's not going to be so funny or weird to you, but it is, it is for me, and I'll, t- t- I'll explain why. So there's a girl I know called Grace, right? And... My former business partner used to go out with a friend called Zeph, and we all used to hang about with each other for a long, long time. Anyway, don't really see her so much anymore, but I still follow her on Instagram. She goes out with someone, and I'll, I'll mention who it is in a second, and I've been on there her case to get him to do a podcast with me. And they, like a lot of them, they all agree, and it takes a little while, and I've got to be professional, persistent, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I've gone to last night to Steve Bartlett. I don't know if you know Steve, Steve Bartlett. He... He founded and sold a, a brand, a business called uh, Social Train. Figure floated on the stock market, 300 million. He was only in his mid-20s when it when it happened. He came out the other side like 30, 40 million up at a young, young age. He has a, also a podcast, and he done a live talk last night, which was insane, really, really good, very mo- mo- motivating, good good about the, the mindset and business, etc. See Grace on the other side, she was queuing up for a drink. I was going to get a bottle, bottle of water, and as I walked over, her boyfriend's there. It's James Gal. And anyway, he around to me, and turned around to me. He around to me he goes, yeah, sorry, I know. I've, I said I'll do. I'll do the whole uh, podcast. I said you don't go. Won't who you, you won't guess who I'm fucking interviewing tomorrow morning. And he was like, "Who?" It's like George Groves. Just like you yeah, able the wind up earlier. And I was like, "No, I swear down to you. I'm, I'm actually interviewing him." I said, "It's like weird law of attraction. I've been trying to chase him down. I end up speaking to you because of Anthony Gogo, and." uh, I was actually speaking to him last night and he's a fucking really, really nice guy. Um, but I was going to say, both of you... Hope he still think. comes in now that I've been in this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not coming in now. Yeah, so yeah. Sure
0: just... <laughs> but um, yeah, I was asking him the same sort of thing about like life after the boxing, uh, just as we are queuing up to get water. And um, he, he actually said like, uh, slightly different to you but he said like yeah like he, for two years he was trying to like almost find himself you know and I find this with a lot of athletes who have hit very high heights um, a lot of footballers actually I've, I've interviewed you know sadly a lot of them end up on drink drugs mental health problems there's a guy who was in, on my podcast called David Cotterall he used to pay for uh, Wales um, who else used to pay for like Brighton people like that It was in the Premier, Premier League I think at his height, 120 grand a week he was on, um, started turning to booze, lost a bit of passion for the sport, and then, you know, fell into major depression. Um, and now he's a big advocate of like, mental health awareness, etc. cetera. And um, even though James didn't say to me last night that like, he went down, but there were signs of it, you know? Because when you leave a sport that you're so passionate about, you, you suddenly, I don't know, like you, you kind of lose your purpose sometimes in life. Um, but it seems to me that you, you haven't. You're enjoying the moment, and um, I think that is quite a blessing to be in that in that kind of mind, that that headspace, in, in that in that position, George. So yeah, I just wanted to raise. Well,
1: yeah, that. it's your it's your identity more than anything else, isn't it? If you yeah. lose your lose, if you're the the boxer and now you're not anymore, well, what are you? You know, have yeah. you lost your identity? Um, James James like me, he you know he started boxing at a real young age. Um, and it was just he did it his whole life. He probably did it longer than me, because when we retired around the same time, he's two years older than me. So uh yeah. You know, I remember I hardly we're not that million miles away from each other in that he I think he's living in West London now. So and I bumped into him once in a in a club. Um and I don't go out often, so that's probably why we never bump in. I think he goes I think he likes the club in scene a little bit more than me. Um and I thought, fuck it, I'm going to say hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, and went over there, and it, I think he wasn't sure if I was going to come and say hello or not. But he said to me one thing that I took away from him: he "Goes, I'm happy, I'm content, i like." And I think he felt like he had to explain that to me. And I wondered later on, does he have to explain that to a lot of people that you know I'm okay? And this was this was this was a couple. This was a good while ago, so this might have been within them two years of you saying him after retiring. Um, and maybe it took a little bit of convincing for him to. That he had to say it out loud. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm. I, I. I got what I got out of boxing. It was good enough, and rightly so. You know, um, he done really well. We're we're part of um that that niche that that small that small percentage. You know, of professional boxers who, you know, there's. I reckon I haven't done the statistics, but I reckon there's. I reckon if if you'd be lucky, out of two out of ten can earn enough money from boxing to be, just be a full-time professional boxer, you know. So the small hall fighters, small hall shows, they've still got a secondary job, you know, maybe a first job and they have to train, have to get up and train and run run before work and then punch and even spar at the weekends, you know, that's, that's their life. And then out of that 20% of boxers who have got enough money, maybe 10% of them finish boxing with enough money to never have to worry about Money again, you know, they have enough money set aside that, you know, they had it off. They had a couple of big fights, and they don't have to worry about the the weekly day to day. And and James will be in that category. You know, he was world champion. He um he had good money at the start, being an Olympic champion, and he uh you know he, he he definitely got in right place, right time. And there was a big cash injection in, in from America, and that's why he's not quite as well known here in the UK because a lot of his big fights were in the states. Um, the the boxing hardcores will know him and and likewise, but he's not on telly much now. He doesn't do a lot of the the stuff that I try and get involved in in the TV stuff and that. But um, this is probably me rattling on to to uh, to just give, give give James. I doubt he listened to it, but if he does, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna
0: uh, send it. A, so. a pat on the
1: back, <laughs> well done, man. Like, do you know what I mean, and the, and the mutual respect, you know, like obviously. I you know I've done a tour now with Frutch and there's, there's mutual respect there and we we even get on um, and then we watched Khan and Brooke at the weekend show a bit of mutual respect after their rivalry none of them were as intense rivalry as me and James like it's, none of them grew up together like in the same gym sparring and then had the you know you have the public face you know put pressure on you but we're talking about people that we know you know so and I'm 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 cool. I'm fully. I'm I know, I'm I'm happy and content. You know. Yeah. We we you know, it's, it's Yeah. So well done, James. Hope he's doing all right. Hope he's. Uh, hope he's. When I saw him, he looked skinny as well. Maybe maybe he's maybe he's still in the gym, still training, still on the diet. Yeah,
0: he, he actually looked in, in good knee, He was quite quite slim. He said he's doing a bit of PT just to keep his mind active. That's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he seems like he's tra- traveling a lot. Gr- Grace, I know he's girlfriend pretty, pretty well. They like to travel, which is a great thing. I uh, don't think he's got any kids, so maybe that's the reason why he's traveling before yeah. as, as the kids, because it's bloody hard taking kids away. it's not even a, a, a holiday. Um, I was going to ask you, genuine hatred, rivalry at that time. Obviously not now because things, you know, it's it's in the past, but. With James de how genuine was that rivalry and maybe kind of hatred at that point. And at the two rivalries between James DeGaulle and Carl Froch, which one was the more intense?
1: Uh you know when when you're like in preparations to fighting someone, then that's when it feels like it's at its most intense. And obviously I had a prolonged period of did he get uh, of the Frotch fights where it was a build up for the first fight, then the second fight? I had no team, you know, which, you know, I'd fell out with with Adam Booth. Um, I had to before the first fr- fight with Frotch ten weeks out. So, and Adam at the time was my manager, my trainer, had been my promoter. It'd been a sort of like I'd been cocooned and and kept away, and you know. And now I'd stand on my own two feet. So that was tough. It was like me versus the world. And I was up against Frotch, who was the poster boy of British boxing at the time, Eddie Hearn, who was the you know, emerging promoter, Sky, who was the only the real main broadcaster. None of them I felt like were on my side. So that was pretty intense. But honestly, it's it's James, like it's 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 gotta be James, like um we did, I did. We're, we're not each other's cup of tea definitely like i doubt we'd ever really be good mates um but yeah once like once like your your rivals and such you know and then it goes back it's got a history then you're like that's the reason the rematch never happened you know because you know that we just probably couldn't concede enough for each other you know you needed a promoter to come in and you know, sealed envelopes going. This how much you're going to get paid. This how much you're going to get paid. And I'm like, okay, but who's ring walking first? Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, but um, you know, what's it going to be? Is it going to be Groves Digal or Digal Groves? Like, because uh, I'm not fighting him if it's Digal Groves. You know, he he works for me. You know, and he would <laughs> he would have exactly the same mindset. Um, and there was periods in our careers where he was a bit in front, and then I was a bit in front, and he was doing this, 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 this. But at the time. He would probably say that I was never in front of him. And likewise, there was times where I say he's never in front of me. And then it got to the end where I can say, Well, a Boxman damage should beat him, Boxman was a pro beat him. And then our only really mutual opponent was Eubank and I beat him and then a year later he beats gal So <laughs> I can sit there and say, Well, I was better than you, James, sorry about that. And he'll never <laughs> sit and yeah, you know, I'll never sit nice to him. I mean if he <laughs> wants to admit it, then if he wants to fight uh, that might that might be the only way to actually uh, put, it, put it to bed. Well, but... On
0: that, if he called you out and there was a right money in the table, would you and him have a second... Would you fight James the again?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, but, like, the first, there'd be, a, there'd be a big part, a big pulse that would go through him and it would be like, yes, do it. <laughs> like, and then obviously it's like, oh, I don't know how to talk like that. I'll explain to the missus and she might go, uh, her first might, it's like, yeah, go and do it, fight James. But then it's like when, you know, getting back in the gym and doing the work might not be quite quite as fun. Uh, as I say, like, I, I do the school run in the morning. You know, that my, my missus put up a picture, a video the other day and it's like my youngest is is tiny uh, and he's asleep in, in, in the sort of... Uh, the carry cot thing and then it pans around and my uh, my older boy is asleep in the buggy and then I'm asleep on the sofa and then the dog's asleep on the side and it's like yeah kids knocked me sideways man before that last before that last fight I didn't know what, what what was happening um and the same and I don't think you know the desire to, to hurt someone the desire to fight creeps away from you as you get older especially when you leave the sport but and I haven't got that itch that, that a lot of fight. I mean, even Froch, I can see, like, he's doing... He'd be calling the fights, and he's thinking... Well, I'm there was talking about him these two.
0: trying to get back in.
1: If yeah. you ask Carl now, what he goes, I'm already in discussions with Roy Jones. I'm in discussions <laughs> with Kowzaghe. I'm in discussions And it's like, oh, yeah, or you just... If you say you're in discussions, you're hoping that someone then picks up the phone and starts the discussion. Because... Uh, I doubt Calzaghi's interested in fighting. Maybe. But we ain't heard nothing from him really since, he, since he's retired. He's a very private man. He mm. keeps himself to himself. Um, Calzaghi, he almost comes across a bit shy sometimes when you meet him. Like he's, he's a bit of a, you know, like he... Reserved. Yeah, real reserved. Yeah, maybe, maybe just because he was from that slightly different era that we were slightly a little bit before where, you know, now as a fighter, you're encouraged to speak. You're... You know, you're there to sell a show. He's there to sell yourself. Um, and the ones that are very good at it, are the ones that accelerate to the top, that's why you got Chris Eubank Jr., who's boxers high super middleweight, a fully fledged middleweight. He's there calling out welterweights week in, week out. It's like, I thought you were going to be a world champion. Why don't you call out some middleweight world champions? But um, because he has that, because that, that, he can be able to sell himself, yeah. you know, he might jump, jump in the queue and be in some... Some big fights. But uh yeah, mate I mean it's an interesting question for me and James. I would happily i I'd just say no for now
0: if they but um someone threw like five, ten million pounds on the table and said, Right, I want you to fight him and James had the first tweet, going back to Twitter and yeah. it says George is XYZ and then there was the money there. Do you think that would be enough to get you back in the ring to fight him? You, you, do you, want, do you want to put the money up? You stick the money up. We'll really have a look. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well. Yeah. We we'll have to it. I mean, it got near the end of my career. And it was like, how much are you gonna pay me to make weight? <laughs> how much are you gonna pay me to, to make the weight? Would you uh, say that's
0: the harder thing, making weight?
1: For me, at the end, it was yeah. Uh, it was, like, it, was a, it was it was dogged. You know, like, I, I, you know, it was a big fight, and it was meaningful. Then yeah, sure. Like you know, you, you got that discipline, and you had the t- you had the time. It can be done, but sometimes you had to. It, it, the weight would stick to you. Um, it's it's a vicious cycle in that, like when you're stressed, my body type would it would hang on to fat. You know, hang on to the fat, um, and then when the weight's not coming on or coming off, you get more stressed. <laughs> so you just hang on to the weight even more, and then you make you always make the weight because you're you're a professional. You gotta you gotta do it. But you'd look like shit on the scales. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't look great. And then sometimes, you know, when you've rehydrated and you'd be, you be full again, you'd be good to go. But it's like you're not allowed to. I mean, it, it, it's complicated now at the moment. They've brought in um, lots of the governing bodies have brought in this like you can't, can't be weight too
0: dehydrated. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Well, no, you can be as dehydrated as you like, okay. but you've got to adhere to these particular weights. So these, and you've got to make a as a weight limit after i don't agree with that like because fighters are going to do it because that one because they have to because they don't get paid or they're going to get fined or they're going to lose opportunities you know they're going to lose their belts but essentially you're telling fighters to, to to be dehydrated which is severely um increases their risk of brain injury you know so if you're telling a fighter right you can weigh in friday at 12 stone but you can't be no more than 12 10 Saturday Lunchtime, and that's your fight day when really they need to be 13 stone, and then they're fighting with you know four pound dehydrated. I mean, they're sure they've got time, but you want the body to be as optimal as possible, you know. Um, the technology's getting better, the, the gloves are getting better, you know, and there's so many more varieties of gloves that fighters can have, so they can literally select the perfect gloves for them. Mm. Um, that just means they're going to land bigger, better, harder shots and cause more damage. So I feel like the hydration stuff needs tweaking, you know, you can't make fighters weigh in 30 days out at a particular weight, two weeks out, a week out, five days out, three days out, you know, because all they're doing is doing this juggling with their, with their hydration to make these check weights. And then they might be sparring later on that afternoon, you know, and they might get an injury. I think a lot of these brain injuries we get during fights probably some damage was done in training, you know, when you're really pushing yourself to the max, you know, you might be in the gym
0: with three, four fresh sparring partners. Chris Dixon talks about in his book, uh, Damaged, uh forgot the the second part of it, it's damaged, um uh, can't remember the name of the book now. But yeah, he talks about it's not in the it's not actually in the fights, it's it's actually in the sparring. That's where most of the damage is done.
1: Mm. You don't know. Do I mean you're not and it's not healthy to keep having brain scans anyway. So, yeah. you know, you're not going to have a brain scan every time you have a, every time you have a fight uh, a spa. So, um but yeah, you, you just don't you just don't know. So, yeah, it's a risky sport, of course, you know, it's what it is. Yeah. Um, a little bit more education I think for the for some of the coaches, definitely for some of the fighters because you ask a fighter to run for a brick wall, he's going to do it, you know. If, yeah. if that's the, that's the sort of fighter he is. So it is um it's a difficult one it's it's a, it's, a, it's one that sort of people don't want to talk about.
0: Yeah. I want to be mindful of the time because I know you have got to leave at some point to pick up the door. uh sorry your kids uh 11:30 <laughs> you say you've got to leave. Yeah. yeah what's the time we'll now? be right yeah. What is the time? Is, that, is my it's watch? quarter past 10 11 11 yeah I thought my watch was uh Anyway <laughs> Um, I want you to ask this, and excuse me if you've covered this before with people, but I've not seen it, and it was always in the back of my mind, so I wanted to ask you directly, what what happened with you and Adam Booth? Because when I look at Adam Booth, I don't know him, I've obviously met him a couple of times, but from an outsider, and knowing Mick Conlon, knowing sort of Josh Kelly, Harlem, looking at style, looking at how successful they've become, and they, they're all kind of... Got their own style, but you can see they're in that, that camp of the, the Booth, at, at the Booth kind of strategy and style. And I, obviously I could see it in, in yourself when you used to fight. And he just seemed like he got the best out of the fighters. He was like very calm in the corner. So he's not one of his trainers that like was screaming shout at you. I mean, excuse me if, if I've got that wrong, but I used to look at him and think, wow, he's very calm and cool and methodical and, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like to to know how to talk to the fighters and train the fighters and get into their in, into their head to make them winners. And it almost seemed like at the wrong time for you to come away. This is my opinion. Um from him when you was about to fight uh Froch. So yeah, like if you don't mind sharing what what kind of happened there?
1: Yeah, it's ne- I mean, it's never ideal to change trainer just before a big world title fight, especially your first. Um but I mean, mine, mine, and Adam's relationship—you know—it would, it run its course. Really, it'd run its course. Um, and we'd had, you know, a few, few um, fallings out over the years. Um, and then there was, there was a, there was, a, there was a falling out um, before the first press conference to announce the fight. And then. Uh, he said he didn't want to work with me anymore. He said he didn't want to be my coach. I said, all right, cool. Um, and at that stage, it's like, well, well, I've got two options. I can either say, oh, well, I don't know, say sorry for something I'm not sorry for and, and ask for him to be my trainer or say, all right, well, cool. I'll move on. Let's go. I've got, I've got no time to waste here. This is my time, you know. Uh, I, <laughs> I have seven traits of how to be, how to be a champion, Hmm. seven traits. And these are what will build unwavering self-confidence, self-belief and resilience, you know, and one of them is don't waste time. So don't waste time, live with clear intentions, don't waste time. And I can't waste time here. If you're not going to share my, my, my ambition to be a champion and you're going to be a detrimental effect to this. Then I'll roll the dice and try something else. Then fail under your watch, you know. Um, and I think I think he I don't know we never really spoke about it. He might have been a bit shocked, you know, that I or I'd called his bluff. Um, but that that was that was my mindset there and then. And uh, you know, when I when I met Adam, I was very impressed with him. I thought he's a, a great guy, a knowledgeable guy. Um, I liked the way I liked his calm his calm manner in the corner you know I liked the way he spoke clearly he was a bit of a maverick uh, in the way that you know he portrayed himself Um, It was very difficult for people outside of the inner circle to to understand to work out Um, that had a value he was training when I met him the unified cruiserweight world champion which was David Hay. Um, someone who i looked up to someone I remember saying to adam you know proof in the pudding like you because he wanted me to sign a promotion uh, a, a management um deal you know the haymaker boxing was starting i was like well you're brand new what have you what have you done before um and he's just like this guy i took this guy on you know uh we did it the hard way but we got there in the end and now you know it's all on our terms and then within a year of working with them um, their deal with a tent that fell through, but they moved to the sky box office and Hay became the heavyweight champion of the world and every door opened for them. And I was fortunate enough to be in that slipstream to train alongside someone who I admired, um, who was had huge attention on, on Hey. And, you know, I managed to fight on his under cars, chief support for pay-per-view fights. Um, you know, I managed to get out on boxing estates the States on Golden Boy shows because of Hay's affiliation with with Golden Boy, um, and they were all benefits. I mean, they helped the Haymaker cause as well because I'm I'm, a, I'm chief support to the, to their fights. You know, um, you know, who else was it going to be? They'd have to pay someone else more money to to do that job. So every you know, the arrangement was mutual. But it got to a stage with, with Adam where we'd, you know, we'd had had the big de gale win where I'd followed his, his, um, his instructions
0: to the letter. To the T and it was perfectly pulled off. It was totally, I'm just interjecting there as a fan, it was totally different to your style. Like you normally come forward, get, get right in there and he told you to do the opposite, pick him apart and move away, get away from the blender. I remember mm-hmm. him saying that when you were in the middle. And I, wa- I remember watching that fight so many times over. My message used to come into to, to my, like, I've got, like, like, a little cinema set up at home. And she'd be like, you're watching this fight again? And I was like, I just think it's a masterclass. Like, I just used to sit there and watch it all the time. Um, just a little in- interjection there.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I don't watch it that often. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, I mean, our, our time had run its course. Um Few things had you know, a few things had had gone wrong and as, as I say, you know, it was um a falling out just before the first press conference. I decided in my head that if he doesn't come to the press conference, if he lets me go up there on my own then it's uh, his over. dad's over. Um and and I did. I mean I got up there, Eddie Hearn lent in and said, Okay, right, Adam Adam's been on the phone. He's um he's told me that he's you know, nothing to do with you. Uh, anymore and all the management stuff need now to go direct through you and I said okay great I said could you show me that message because um, he's going to charge me 25% uh, and I don't really fancy paying him if he's not going to do the work for it Uh, I didn't (laughs) you know it's a whores game you know it's a whores game and we the whores you know we we the fighters are the whores but we like being the whores sometimes (laughs) sometimes we don't realise we're the whores and that's a problem um so, yeah, you know, and it was tough. That was a was real tough because I broke away from all I knew, you know, but this was liberating for me. I'm going to stand up. People are going to see me for once. I remember meeting Calla Sowland and every time I met Calla Sowland, it was like Adam was my dad and I was a shy boy and I just sat there and didn't really talk. Do you know what I mean? But I'm the prize pig. Do you know what I mean? That's what people have come, you know, there's no meeting here if I'm not sitting here, if, if right now, here and then. And I remember meeting Calla and and him being blown away like, wow, you got a voice and, and you can't walk all over me because I've got to meet with Golden Boy next week, you know. I've got to meet him with um, Barry Hearn because me and Eddie just couldn't connect at the time, you know. So Barry's trying to pitch me Matchroom, you know, uh, and they're trying to do Good Cop Bad Cop, you know. And it's like, yeah, Eddie's looking after Frotch, but I got I got a hold of you, and I'm meeting Frank Frank Warren, you know what I mean? And Frank's pitching, you know, this this fight. Don't worry about the rematch with Frotch. We'll go for the WBO. And as I say, it was. It was it was fantastic for me. It was liberating. Exactly what I needed. I was ready for it, and it made in some ways it sort of made me who, who I am now. Um, so I'm thankful to Adam in many ways. I learned a lot about the boxing game around him. Um, it was like it was funny. It was funny being part of that 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 click up that set because they were like any establishment. They did have to do a lot of things the, the old way, and it was a smash and grab job. Like, and when I think about it, I didn't really fit into that smash and grab job because it was Hay and Booth and Hay and Booth are going to smash and grab and beat in and out of boxing, you know, but it's a whore's game. It's hard to leave it, you know, and now they're still lingering in it. Um, Hay became, you know, set up his own promotional stuff. He was managing Derek Chisora. Booth is now, uh, he's training Conland and and a few others. He's got his academy um, none of them have reached the dizzying heights that they were at before and they they never will again but um, they still I think they've got a history in boxing like there's a, there's a significant chapter of when Hay was world champion and they had the pay-per-view shows that that was what it was and um, but it was a smash and grab job because only the, the true promotional outfits like a matrim, like a warren will last the would survive the test of time you know um, so yeah and I, you know I, I haven't I hardly spoke to Adam since we had a meeting after the first watch fight we agreed a settlement for the for the I think um, I saw picture of
0: you you two down in the tunnel when uh, you just you just yeah so I bumped it.
1: into him after the first one tearful, he yeah was. he was tearful I was tearful it was an emotional you know emotional moment you know Um and I looked
0: at that and I thought, they, they're going to get back together now. This is it. And then and, then no, they no, did it. and no. I was, ah.
1: No. no, we probably hated each other more. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for, as I say, for me there and then, it was like, you are holding me back. And yeah. this is about me. It's my turn now. It's my time to shine. Um, you know, <sighs> Adam had made it. You know, Adam had, Adam had a big house, you know, nice cars, you know, like, uh, you know, he was there. He was, you know, he was at the top of boxing, you know. Um, did Gal win? Like you probably, you're probably thinking this was Adam. Adam did this, do you know what I mean? And, and I don't take offense to it because that was the way it was sold. But it's like, yeah. I'm fighting James DeGaulle. I had to convince Adam that I can be James DeGaulle. I had to convince everyone, you know unwavering self-belief this guy the girl I know him no one else was comfortable about this fight I mean yeah sure Adam came up with this um, tactics and I followed it to the letter because that's what you do you know what I mean that's what you do you 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 employ people and I'd learned from as an amateur you know I'd gone in I remember fighting in an amateur fight when I had uh, mumps is that how you pronounce it I had you know I had an illness and I lost and my club coach Mickey said don't fight don't need it. I was like, mate, Mick, I've won everything. I've won all the schoolboys. I've got to win these junior ABA's. There's no way I'm not going in them. And I went in them, got beat. And then I was like, okay, from now on, i will listen to my coaches. Like, listen to my coaches. And that, that that came right up to to Adam Booth. And then after Adam Booth, I, <laughs> I stopped listening to the coaches from time to time. And I went it went, went it alone. Um, uh, but yeah, for the decal fight, listen to him. We got there. We, we got the win. We we, we got the win. Who knows? I don't want to roll the dice. You know what I mean? Oh. I could have lost. I could have beaten much easier if something else had happened. But um I ain't gonna roll the dice on that decision. That was that was the win. Yeah. That was great. Um but Adam's a fascinating guy. Um I, I, as I say, he might be a totally different person now to when I knew him. Because when I knew him, he was a man and now he's a former man. You know what I mean? He's he's trained, he's a good, he's a good coach, but I doubt he's first on the list for any young prospect coming through, you know. Um, he has a particular way of training, and a lot of these fighters, some are going to succeed, some are not, you know. Um, David Hay, with one-punch explosive power, um, can have real success under Adam, because he can teach you how to get that perfect punch, you know. that, But he can't, he can't really... He doesn't really teach combinations, you know. He doesn't teach... Fight his fighters um, fall out of position after after a single shot sometimes and sometimes they can unravel a little bit and, and you know I remember boxing Kenny Anderson who was a Scottish guy um, Commonwealth champion unbeaten pro but just a real tough dogged dude and I unravelled in that fight you know with that with that I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't get rid of him with with the, with the one punch system he caught me in the third round I had to get up off the floor I had to dig deep bite down on the gum shield. And uh, grind out the win that, that that day, and I wasn't, you know, I'd had a few problems in the build up. I'd supposed to box two weeks before, so I think I would peaked and then came back. But fortunately for me, I got you know Anderson took the fight at late notice, so it was a fortunate, lucky escape for me that night. Um, but it was it was a it was a clear sign that I needed to change a little bit or something because. You know, there was the element of unraveling yeah um but i tried to do that throughout my whole career you know i went moved away from adam i started working with a fellow called paddy who's um he'd been around the pro gyms you know uh, he was big into like uh james tony and and dudes like that and you know i always said i want to learn how to throw combinations like let's work on combinations and he's like yeah so then your feet change a little bit you sit and you sit and you start slightly different you you know you change the angle of the shot and he was really good for me for that um sometimes it wasn't quite as as fascinating to watch or is you know on the edge of your seat stuff so I wasn't forever just goaded in trying to bounce off the back leg big right hand Um, so you know and you can kind of see that in the time I spent with Paddy but um, then i move on to Shane and and change it up again so you know you you want to be a complete fighter as well-rounded fighter as possible but stick to your attributes as well and I probably got close close to what could my potential near the end um, so the likes what's the conditioning I was in for for Tudinov for Eubank for Jamie Cox these fights you know, even even the Martin Murray fight I was in real real good nick real sharp real real on you know technically probably as close to the best version of myself as I could have been so uh, yeah I'm thankful to all of them um, they all played significant parts in shaping my boxing philosophy now. So when I meet kids and uh, young young guys in the gym um, at the Dale and I'm t- teaching them on a Sunday, I'm like, right, you know. And you refer it back to fighters who they're, they're probably watching and admiring now. It's like, right, right let's have that Canelo balance. You know I mean? Sitting in the hips like this, you know, proud chest like this guy or that guy. Throw the right hand like, you know, throw the right hand like David Hay. I watched it firsthand. I've seen him buzz pff, Takam in the gym. I've seen him buzz Deontay Wilder in the gym. I've seen him buzz... Um, oh, I can't even think now. T-t-t- time and time again, you know, loads of fights. I, 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 was, I watched. I was listening to, to your pod with Ruben Tabares and 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 uh, Pete Marc who was a strength coach of mine. I worked with Pete for the Degal fight. Got me in phenomenal shape. You know, um, a real old school guy. Mm. You know, um, but old school when it came to like his love for combat sports. You know, he told me that you know he grew up in Italy. And uh, he'd be watching the old, like the old mixed martial arts films, you know. And then he'd set up his own class on a Sunday afternoon where the locals would come, and they'd be, he'd be, you know, he'd be teaching them like I don't know Bruce Lee or whatever he was into at the time. But then when it came to the, the strength conditioning, you know, he's um, highly qualified, knowledgeable, and then had that ability to transfer that knowledge into your performance. You know, it's all well and good getting strong. Getting fast, getting powerful, but how do you then transfer that into your boxing? Mm. So um, yeah, no, I mean I worked with some of the best guys in in in, uh, in the country. Started off around the corner from here at the third space, working with Jez Wilcox, who is a, a great strength and conditioning coach. We used to have loads of fun with him throwing their balls, you know, off the wall, making a loud noise. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was a uh, yeah, was really good.
0: Yeah. I, um- Pete and uh, Ruben, I've had uh, pleasure tra- training with them myself a few times. I just like the way they're so educated with what they what they do, and they always come up with like quite quite quirky stuff, but makes a lot of sense. Um, look, there's only about three or four things I want to ask you, but obviously I know you're it's limited. No, you. Yeah, it so obviously if you want to answer them, quite uh, short answers, then then fine. Um, let's just say you won that fight I know it's all hypothetical and, and it's almost like dreamland now but you won that fight against Canelo Smith right you say you were going to hang it up but then the Canelo Alvarez team contacts you and said right we want to fight you we you, there's 10 15 20 million pound on the table and I'm hoping you would say okay yeah this is going to get me going if you would have fought Canelo Alvarez at your peak where you were the man like smashing bonds up with that right hand how do you think the fight would have gone
1: I'd have beat him like right? but uh, you can have that opinion every fighter should have that opinion about themselves Agreed. unwavering self-belief um, how but, do you think but,
0: he would have gone like points knockout
1: I don't know I'd like to say I'd chin him but I don't know if I could do you know what I mean I think he's got he's probably got a great chin I mean Golovkin couldn't get rid of him do you know what I mean no one's really come close to even hurting him or buzzing him um, he's got, a, he's got like a neck like a bulldog hasn't he Um but you know I've got a natural size advantage, so you know you'd have to jam him, jam him with the straight shots. Um, he springs in from from distance, um, from from a wide range. Uh, he springs in and out of range, uh, real quick. He's got great um, Arsenal shots. You know he's got, he's got plenty, like every shot in the book. But and he throws unconventional shots, or well, at least I believe are unconventional shots. So he was, he was doing like a lead left hook to the body, and that's a dangerous shot because you're opening up that you side of your face. Yeah, and but I think he punches with such such spite that he can roll the dice a little bit because most people get as soon as they know something's coming, they'll back away, you know, or they, they'll, they'll cover up. They'll cover something. So, but yeah, you you know, phenomenal head move. Like every Mexican, you know, he pulls away from the shot, which. Like me as a British fighter, I just I, that I unless you've been doing that since you're seven years old, like don't do it. Don't try and do it now. You know what I mean? Um Like with the Mayweather's, when people are trying to do the shoulder yeah, roll, you know he's been doing that since he's seven years old. He's perfected it. He's sparring with big dudes, and 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 they can't get off on him. And then you know you unless you're a James Tony and you're gonna sit on the ropes and let these guys wade away at you and just slip and slide, and the odd one goes through, but you're pulling away. Um... But I'd love to. I'd love the challenge. Uh, lots of fighters don't shy away from challenges, and I was certainly one of them. Um, I wouldn't have had no qualms about fighting him. Um, I think I would. I think he, he just he, he went straight through that current crop of um, super middleweights, and and he's on the A side, so he gets a lot of stuff on his own terms. Um, so you know, I feel like the Callum Smith fight was thrown upon him. Um, Smith probably didn't have an awful long time to to prep for it. Um, it's sort of like he was going to be signing for it, then he wasn't, and then all of a sudden it's on him during lockdown. It might have been Mexico or uh, Dallas or somewhere. And he looked a bit weight-drained, looked a bit fried, nothing really came out, nothing clever, and he got soundly beat. Other than that, he's beat um, Kovalev, which he knew something about Kovalev. Do you know what I mean? It was was a a former shadow
0: of himself, Kovalev. And I've got to say, I'm a big fan of Canelo. But mm. personally, I think it was lo- losing that fight on points because I think uh, Kovalev was just keeping him at bay, mm. and then he come around that wild like, left hook and it just caught him and he just and he just sort of collapsed. Mm. And I was thinking, bloody hell, oh, you were actually winning this fight? Oh, well, but that's boxing for you. Yeah,
1: ah. I mean, I'm a huge Canelo fan, like huge Canelo fan. Um, so if I go if I go on a little uh, a little tangent about his. I end up sounding like I'm uh, ranting about him, but I'm not. I appreciate him. Like, mm. um, But at the same time, you're like, well, you, you are the A-side. There's a reason you was able to unify the super middleweight division like in 12 months because everyone just does as they're told. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I thought his t- toughest fight at Super was going to be Caleb Plant, but when you really go into detail about what they've been through and what they've done... It, it was always going to be an, a comfortable Alvarez win. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, I think he's not even really a super middleweight, you know, so I never really had him a chance in, the, in that fight. Uh, and I'm not sure where he goes from here, do you know what I mean? So there's some big dudes like Benavidez, but he blows hot and cold. Um, you got Berbatov or Betabayev, uh, you know, I'm not sure how he pronounces his name, but, you know, big, strong caveman type like heavyweight. Can he give him problems? I mean, boxing-wise, not at all, you know, but in terms of if he gets into range and lets his hands go, he might be able to walk through Canelo's punches and land and saying. And then the other dudes who are, like, the talented middleweights like Charlo and, and Andrade and guys like that, you're like, yeah, great, but, like, he's already beat Danny Jacobs. He's already he's already cleaned up the super middleweight division, so are these guys actually big enough? Are they actually going to put a dent in him, you know? Because if you're just going to try and pick a points win against... Um, so we don't really want to watch that you know uh, we do and we don't you know <laughs> so i think he's a man at the moment you know he's he's phenomenal talent and uh he'll be interesting to see how long he can cope at the top do you know what i mean that was the most in, uh, amazing thing for me about Mayweather is like why do you what gets you up in the morning is it literally just being the man do you know what mm. i mean so you said like money definitely money you know he wants to be the he wants that money but he wants that money i think also because it just means he's the man. Do you know what I mean? And now he he loves nicking, nicking, amazing money for fake fights. You know, against YouTubers or whoever it's going to be, um, because that still means he's the man. Do you know what I mean? I'm the man from the work I've done before because I can go out and get this. You know, um, so yeah, you know, it's it's tough because you want him to be in a real fight because as boxing fans want to see it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and Golovkin at 39, two losses on his record not same, you know it's not going to be the same um who else is there do i mean who is it is it is it is it is it burbatov better by up at at light heavyweight is it a bivol is it is it someone like that i don't know do i mean because i'd i'd say callum smith or uh you know callum johnson and you know uh, joshua boazzi and these are great british fighters that we've got who would probably give these guys a run for our money but would you pick them to beat Alvarez, you know, he's already, he's already comfortably beat Smith, you know, um, that's in the bank now. <laughs> yeah. yeah stuff tough one. Um, was there ever talk of you fighting Frotch for a th- third time? No, no, no. So Frotch, Frotch obviously retired straight after our fight and what a way to go, you know, what yeah. a way, uh, to, to shut me up after I've absolutely tortured you mentally for like, you know, seven months, um, and to go out on the, the biggest stage. I think he'd done that perfectly, you yeah. know. Um, and he's you know, he's hinted at coming back now, but um, it's only really been lately that he's kind of hinted at, and, and yeah. it's just because that's what's in at the moment. You know, yeah. there's a the Legends League or something. But I'm pretty sure he's still a handful, he's probably still got a granite chin, he's probably still can whack a bit, he's probably not far off the super middleweight limit, yeah. Um, but. You know, I did a tour with him last year. We're probably gonna do we're gonna do another one at the end of the year. Um so I got to know him a little bit and listen to his side of the story um and appreciate his side of the story. And one thing that he always says is like, um he quotes um Marvellous Marvin Hagler that it's tough to get up and do their morning runs when you're in your silk pajamas, you know. Mm. And I think there's a there's 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 that pulse that goes through him that wants to that wants to be the man, but there's also them silk pajamas, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he, uh, he, he he must have trained dogged dogged hard, you know, each and every time. Always physically in in check, even though occasionally he probably mentally wasn't. Um but at you know, that, that'll take its toll now for him in his 40s. I doubt he wants to do that.
0: If you were to, to describe him, one, two, three words maybe, you know, when you walked out, and you must have been asked this so many times, George, and I hate actually asking the same questions that other, I, but I, I want to know firsthand me on this podcast, walking out for uh, Froch Groves 2 at Wembley with all those people there, thousands, 80,000 people there, yeah? people screaming your name, all buzzing to see the second fight. How was, that, how was that feeling as you walked out through the tunnel? Well, you're trying to...
1: Like, you want to put on a show. That's why I've got a, a bus. <laughs> we've got open-top bus. We've got fire breathers. We've got um, performers. We've got pyrotechnics. We've got everything. So, I, you know, I come out to Underdog by Kasabian. Like, we wanted Underdog to... I wanted Underdog on the stage. Like, you know, the guys, Tommy and that, out there um, playing the music. But that was obviously never going to happen. That wasn't in the budget. And then it breaks into Prodigy Spitfire. So and then it's it's you know business as usual. Um, I'm trying not to absorb the atmosphere, to be honest, because I don't want to get nervous. I don't want to get excited. I don't want to drain my resources by investing emotionally. Back to emotion in in what's going on right here. You know, I'd I'd sat in the hotel across the road from 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 Wembley, watching people go into the stadium like um, earlier on in the evening, and just being a bit a bit blown away by how many people there was. So you wanna have a quick look, quick feel of it, like so that it, you know, it doesn't catch you by surprise, but then, you know, focusing on the guy in front of you. So you Know, I have no real recollection properly of that ring walk, it was like a bit of a blur, just blocked it out, yeah.
0: And a connecting uh, question um, a bit like the money side of things, but fame and obviously having a profile and pretty big following on, on, on Instagram, etc. What's it what's it feel like to be famous even still now, now that you're retired?
1: So, it's, it's not a go through depends on on your level of fame so like uh, when i beat the gale people would go oh it's george you know and they come over and they ask for a photo when i when i lost the fox the second time people would recognize me but they never wanted to approach me so a lot of people would take photos of you like on Random, the side su- yeah like and that's uh, that's that gives you the ump because you're like come and say hello you're making me paranoid. Do you know what I mean? I'm out in Vegas with my wife. I'm sitting by the pool. I'm drinking a beer. And my belly's hanging over my, you know, my shorts, and you're taking pictures of me. I can see you're taking pictures of me. Like,
0: oh, that <laughs> coming up, yeah. So, me feel so uncomfortable.
1: So yeah, so that stuff's uncomfortable for a while. But now, you know, now it's all it's all just mellow. I get I get recognised a bit, um, and if I go to a boxing related function, then I get recognised a lot, which is nice, you know. Um, But I don't, I don't, I like individuals and I don't like people, you know, Uh, so, so that serves me well. That means I don't crave the fame, you know, I don't, I don't need, uh, I don't need uh, that reaffirm, affirmation from people. I don't need them to be on my side or to like me, you know? So, you know, I don't, I don't measure my Instagram followers as, as success because, there's a real world and there's that reality world. And I'm never I'm not good at it, so I'm not gonna compete with it. And I you know, at times in the past when I was fighting, I was trying to build my profile and I thought this is how you do it online and put a little bit more energy into it, put a little bit more post-ups, give it a little bit more away. But when I realised actually I'm the opposite of that. Like I keep I, I pride privacy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If um if there's a magical moment going on, I don't wanna miss it because I'm trying to catch it on my phone to send it to people I don't even know and don't even care about. So I, live it, I try to live in the moment like that. Um, this is what I think social media is for. Do you know what I mean? If you've got a, a podcast or something, if someone's trying to sell me something, great. Um, if someone's got something interesting to say, great, I'll listen to it. But I'm not, putting, I'm not putting up pictures of, of my breakfast. I'm not going to pull my knickers up my ass and take a picture and set it on the gram. Um, There's a place called OnlyFans now. You're probably
0: back a killing OnlyFans, right? yeah, yeah.
1: So um, yeah, once they once they brown OnlyFans out, you know. But it's tough to keep on top of the content. Like if you want yeah. something, you know, I I'm more of a quality over quantity type of guy, you know. Plus I'm a private guy. If I'm in the gym doing something spectacular, um, you can come and see, but I'm I'm going to charge you for it. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, if if I've got a trainer and we're we're winning. I, you know when all the guys I work with never put my stuff up online because I'm like well they're yeah. only going to see it and copy it and,
0: and be aware and of I've I'm, it.
1: And I've lost my edge I've lost my yeah. advantage what am I paying you for do you know what I mean I can watch what you're doing online I know it's not uh, nowhere near as, as easy and clear as that but that's essentially what it is do you know what I mean I like the mystique of it I like uh, a mystique of life, you know. But uh yeah, it has its
0: purposes. George, I want to say thank you very much for giving up your time. Um you're a great guy. Um I've been really inspired by your story, been watching you, like I said, as a fan, and um yeah, you was always someone that was on my hit list to get 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 up on there. Um, I'm gonna ask you just one more question, okay? So when I first started my own business, around about 24 years of age, it was predominantly a sales business. and most of the people there were were fellas, alpha male type environment. And it was all about mindset, it was all about energy, excitement, enthusiasm, because that's how you make a sale. So I come up with a bit of a mantra and a, and a kind of an affirmation that I live by, I try and live by day to day. I've got my own gym in my house and I've got it up there as a hashtag. And it goes like this, be happy, never content, which is actually slightly polar opposite to what you've been saying throughout this whole conversation. But I'm going to ask you, George Groves, what does be happy, never content mean to you?
1: my dad used to say to me be happy just that be happy i just think dad like i need a bit more explanation and then as i got older i was like no i get it now i get it you had the wisdom like you know you get a bit more wisdom and it's just like tell yourself to be happy right and happiness and content sometimes can 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 be the same thing but it depends on you know, not to you know, not to be content means that you're going to push on for something, you know, something more. And sometimes in, in this world, that's what you need. Um, in certain aspects of your life, some aspects of your life, like no, actually, just be content. You know I mean, don't push. Your wife is lovely. You know, mm. she's perfect. You're punching above your weight there. Be content. You yeah. Don't don't worry about getting something better than that. <laughs> you know. Um, but if you're going to work in sales, then. You want to be like Floyd Mayweather. You want to be like always scratching that itch. Do I mean? You've 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 earned close to a billion dollars. You're still calling out. You're still trash talking. You're still looking for that next that next opportunity to earn a pound note or or to get on the cover of something or you know whatever that may be. So, um, I say live outside your comfort zone. You know, as a fighter, I want you to live outside your comfort zone. That means your training should be uncomfortable. And then you, if you do that long enough, that becomes your comfort zone. So live outside your comfort zone until it is your comfort zone. Comfort is the enemy of progress. Like that's what he says. That's what Hugh Jackman says in The Greatest Showman. You know, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, if you can, I used to, Pete Marcarciano, we used to go to the track. We used to do a hundred hundreds, right? So it's 10K on the track. We had to run, I had to run the first hundred meters in 15, under 16 seconds which is about for me, it was about eighty, eighty, no, about eighty-five percent, you know. And then I'd get like thirty seconds rest and go again. We got that up to about one hundred and thirty, so nearly thirteen k. To take an hour and forty-five minutes of sprints, that was brutal. That was the foundations. Then you know, for so much of the rest of my career, you know, I remember getting the Shane McGuigan's gym with loads of talented fighters, and near the end, then I couldn't, I wasn't always at the front, but. When you talk about the grittiness, you know, the, the able to uh, to just dig deep, just to sustain. And it always looked like you in, in well within your comfort zone. That's what your comfort should be. So, uh, happiness and content. Yeah, be happy and don't be content. Um, if there's something you need to progress in, then certainly don't be content with it.
0: Yeah, nice one. George nice awesome, one brother lovely man thank you very much um, if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe obviously follow George you know who he is and uh, really really appreciate everyone listening be happy never content and thank you for your time Thanks. lovely cheers bye bye